Today we're going to talk about baptism. Now here's the thing. If you were to get a group of believers together and ask the question, is baptism important? They'd say, yeah, absolutely it's important. 100% of them would. But if you were then to ask them, okay, tell me what it represents, you would have answers literally across the spectrum. Let's take, for instance, Catholics. Catholics believe that baptism is a pathway to saving grace. To put it another way, they believe that baptism is one of those things that is absolutely necessary in order for you to be, in our language, a follower of Jesus, born again, to be saved. That's the reason they baptized infants. Infants are baptized in the Catholic tradition as a means of trying to provide salvation for infant children uh, should they pass away before they get to an age where they can make a decision on their own. And then you have uh, brothers in Christ like those we know in the Presbyterian tradition for whom baptism is a sign of the new covenant in Christ just like circumcision was a sign of the old covenant through Moses. They see baptism as a kind of replacement for circumcision. So while the meaning of the act for a teenager or for an adult who would come to faith in Jesus Christ is still public, uh, public identification with Jesus as Savior and Lord. In its larger context, it's an identification with the faith community. Just like in the Old Testament, circumcision was an identification with the faith community of Israel. So these groups also baptize infants. But then you get to Baptists. And Mennonites, and frankly, many of the non-denominational churches that are around us, and baptism only has meaning if it's a conscious act of a person who has surrendered their life to follow Jesus. So you can see that there is a problem here. Almost all followers of Jesus agree that baptism is important, and yet large segments of Christianity disagree as to why it's important. So here's what I'm going to do today. I am not going to say why all these other groups are wrong. Aren't you disappointed? That would be fun. That'd be Twitter-like here on, on a Sunday morning. I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is simply share with you our understanding as a church and elders of what baptism is, what the Bible says on the subject. Then I'm going to point you to a resource that the elders have produced that can help you do further study on your own. Then I'm going to challenge you to think about your own experience of baptism in light of what we are, are learning here together today. And we're going to do this by seeing four things from Scripture, which should alert you that this is really a different day. There are not three things we're going to look at. We are going to look at four things today, but as a way of just holding on tradition, all of them start with M. So... Uh, we're in good shape. First, this. We're going to look at the meaning. The meaning of baptism. Scripture speaks of baptism actually in a variety of ways, but maybe the very best passage of Scripture that kind of unpacks the meaning of what baptism is is found for us in the book we'll start studying next week, the book of Romans. So just consider this practice for next week. Find the book of Romans in your copy of God's Word. Find chapter 6, and I want you to look at verses 3 through 5. A man named Paul wrote the book of Romans to a group of Roman Christians, and in the course of his instruction to them, he says this in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now those verses from just kind of the the 30,000 foot level tell us that baptism ultimately is a public identification with the life and work of Jesus, but it provides for us three points of identification that is accomplished by baptism. First, it is the identification with his death. Paul says, and, and it's not just here, he says it all the way through the New Testament, Paul says that at the moment of salvation, we are baptized into his death with Jesus so that our water baptism pictures the reality. Now, what does it mean to say that we are baptized into his death? It's a way of referencing the judgment that fell on Jesus because of our sins. The moment that we put our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we are plunged into that event with him so that the judgment that fell on Christ is identified by us as being a judgment that we deserve because of our sins and the fact that Jesus has now paid the price for the judgment we deserve according to our sins. And so baptism is a means of demonstrating through the act of going underneath the water our identification with that judgment our sin deserved that fell on Christ. Second point of identification with Jesus is accomplished through an identification with his burial. Paul says in that passage I just read that we are buried with him by baptism into death and we are saved by that baptism with him into his death, buried with him in that way. Baptism pictures the reality of Christ's burial. Now here's the thing that Frankly, churches like ours don't think of a lot anymore, but the burial of Christ was as theologically significant to the early church as his death and resurrection were. In fact, you see that if you pay very close attention to some of the landmark passages in the New Testament about the resurrection. There's an extensive talk, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 15 about the burial of Christ. And the reason that the burial held significance for the New Testament church is because they believed it showed that God was satisfied with the death of Christ as payment for our sins. Believing, and we won't go into this, believing as the scapegoat, as a sacrifice in the Old Testament, bore away the sins of the people never to return, that Christ's burial demonstrates a bearing away of our sins and the price that they deserve uh, from payment from God to never return to us Again, And so there is a belief, Paul articulates it here, that our baptism identifies with that burial, that bearing away of our sin forever. And then the final point of identification with Jesus that is accomplished with baptism is obviously with his resurrection. Paul says that Jesus was raised so that we too might walk in newness of life. Now here's where I have to just cop to something, right? All right? I, I, I've been, I don't know, I've been baptizing people uh, for 35 years probably as a minister in, in the local church. And, uh, and the first time I did it, I was absolutely terrified. I mean, as you can imagine, absolutely terrified. And so my goal was to get in and get out, say as little as possible, 
not drown anybody, and get out of there. And so when it came time for me to baptize, I baptized him in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and just said, get out, get out, get out, get out. I didn't want anything to happen from that point on. So I didn't say what many of us are accustomed to hearing, right? Buried with him, raised to walk in newness of life. I didn't do that because I was terrified and I'm a habit former. It's been going on for 35 years. The reason that that is said is because of what Paul says here. Our baptism is a picture, our identification with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So baptism is a means of public identification. It means that we have embraced Christ's death, Christ's burial, and Christ's resurrection as the means by which we are made right with God. It demonstrates we have surrendered our life to him. That's the meaning of baptism. So what's the motive for baptism? What compels us to be baptized in the first place? Why must we be baptized? Well, the first reason that I can see in Scripture is because of Christ's precedent. Christ himself was baptized. If you would please find the book, the New Testament book of Matthew. Find Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, actually through verse 15. Uh, Jesus is going to John the Baptist for the purpose of being baptized. You can imagine the shock that John the Baptist felt at being given this request by, by Jesus. This is recorded for us, this encounter in Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John the Baptist to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. Jesus was baptized. Jesus says in that little phrase that he needed to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Now we can get sidetracked into what that means. I mean, there's a rich discussion that you can get into to what that means. We won't get into it. It's not unimportant. It's just not the point today. I just want to focus on the why. And the why is found in the word fulfill. Jesus is saying that it would have been impossible for him to fulfill the full plan of God for his life if he had bypassed the step of baptism, even if it seemed an unnecessary step to someone like John the Baptist who was asked by Jesus to baptize him. So by Christ's own example, we see the precedent for baptism. But we are also motivated by Christ's proclamation for baptism. This is very important. At the end of the book of Matthew, as a matter of fact, when I mean the end, I mean the very end. Of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus commissions disciples to go in his name into all the world. And he says to them, beginning in verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. How? By baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The making of disciples. The one word job description of every church and every individual follower of Jesus is inseparable, according to the words of Jesus, from baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
to forego baptism is to seriously undermine disciple-making, seriously undermine evangelism itself, because baptism is the public identification with Christ. All right, so, so far, we've seen that baptism is motivated by Christ's precedent in being baptized and in his proclamation to be baptized, but we are also motivated to be baptized by the pattern of Scripture. The presentation of baptism in Scripture follows a clear and consistent pattern. And by clear and consistent, I don't mean 99% of the time it shows up this way. I mean 1,000 million percent of the time it shows up this way. People are called to faith in Christ, and then they are baptized. There is a proclamation of the gospel, and then they are baptized. We see this on the day that the church was born, a day that is called Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Peter proclaims the gospel to the masses at the city of Jerusalem, and they're baptized in response. We saw it in the passage of Scripture that we just read at the, as an act of worship in the service. A man named Philip, authorized by the church as a, as a leader in the church, encounters a man named uh, the, an unnamed man who's an Ethiopian. He proclaims to him the gospel. The gospel's proclaimed. Baptism is the response. Again, we see this pattern 100% of the time in Scripture. Baptism never comes before the hearing and responding to the gospel. So we are motivated to be baptized by Christ's precedent in being baptized, by his proclamation to be baptized, and in the pattern that we see over and over again in Scripture in a response, as a response, to the saving message of the gospel. Next, let's think about the mode of baptism. And we believe that the mode of baptism supported by Scripture is baptism by immersion. Now, by the end of the first century, I need to just say to you, the early church had more or less quit practicing baptism by immersion. And they had done this mostly because they were trying to wrestle with the theological problems of infant death in a world where infant death was not at all uncommon. And because the Jewish roots of Christianity made it very easy to equate baptism as a sign of entrance into a faith community with circumcision, which was performed on, on the eighth day, it became very easy for early Christians to substitute baptism in its place and baptize infants by sprinkling and in their mind kind of correct the lingering question, what happens when a baby dies? And so it remained that way for centuries. But the word baptize is a transliteration of the Greek word baptizo. And here, directly from the best Greek dictionary that I have in my library, which, not to nerd out on you, is also the gold standard for this kind of thing. I can show it to you. All the titles are in German. I can't pronounce them, but it's red and blue. All right? And here's that, here that definition. To put or go underwater. To plunge, dip, or wash. This is the word that is used to identify what John the Baptist did to Jesus and what the New Testament church did 
for believers. And this makes sense because as I showed you earlier, baptism is a public identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Being placed underwater and brought back up again gives that picture beautifully in a way that really no other method of baptism could ever convey. But there's another aspect of this that I want to touch on briefly, and that is the proper place for immersion. And that proper place is with your church family. Now, this does not mean that if you were not baptized in or near a building with a steeple on it, that your baptism is in some way invalid. It is simply to say that there is not a single instance of baptism that took place in the New Testament that was not administered either directly by the apostolic authority of the early church or by a leader to whom, like Philip, their authority had been delegated. The church alone has the authority to baptize, and so every effort must be made to include the church body in the experience of baptism. It is not a private matter. So this is what we believe to be the most biblical understanding of the mode of baptism, by immersion under the auspices and authority of the local church. All right, now I told you there would be four M's today. We've done three. We've looked at the meaning of baptism, what it represents. We've looked at the motive for baptism, what compels us to be baptized, and the mode of baptism, how baptism should be properly administered or practiced. But there's one aspect of this that we have not considered yet this morning, and it is this, the moment for baptism. The moment for baptism, which is the aspect of this that even churches like ours tend to not to discuss as often as what we should. And you may be thinking, well, you've already answered that. The moment is after we hear and respond to the gospel. But there is something that we have missed in that simple explanation. In Scripture, listen closely, in Scripture, baptism is the response to the gospel. I'm not saying baptism as an act saves. I'm saying that baptism in Scripture is the response to the gospel. Let's think through how we process the moment of coming to Christ in churches like ours today. Most often, I'd be talking to someone in their home or in my office or at a restaurant or coffee shop, and I'd explain the gospel to them. And let's just say that that person decided they wanted to become a follower of Jesus, and they told me so. Would I then say, oh, well, be very careful for the next few days until we can get you baptized by immersion? Of course not. In fact, I can think of a time down here at this Applebee's that's closed. Um, I led uh, one of our deacons to the Lord. Important to note, he was not a deacon at the time. All right? So I think it's important to know that. But I led one of our deacons to the Lord. Explain the gospel to him. At, uh, at a table there in Applebee's, and, and he gave his life to Jesus right there at that table. I didn't say to him, well, I'm telling you, that's not really going to take until we're baptized. Of course not. There is there's precedent in Scripture that baptism is not necessary for someone to be saved. The thief on the cross turns to Jesus and doesn't understand everything that Jesus is, but knows he's 
put all his trust in Jesus to take care of whatever needs to be taken care of. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. So water baptism is not necessary to save, but, but we need to understand why we need to do it as quickly as possible. And the reason we need to do it as quickly as possible is because baptism is the ask in the New Testament. It is the, think of it this way, it is the prayer of salvation that we see in the New Testament. And it's rooted in a passage we don't sometimes really think deeply about, one that probably most of us already know on some level, uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Paul there, talking to the Romans about salvation, says in verse 9 of Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What we don't understand about that is that the scholarly consensus is that's a baptismal confession. In other words, that instruction is being provided for the baptism of people who say, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus. So the gist of the passage is this. If in the waters of baptism you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Meaning what? That baptism is the confession. Baptism is the ask. Baptism is the prayer of salvation. Baptism is the response to the gospel. And again, none of this means that we can't be saved if water is not available. It just simply means that we who have Baptist in our middle name sometimes really de-emphasize the significance and the importance of baptism. We will say to someone, surrender your life to Jesus right now. You pray and ask Christ to, to save you right now. And then, you know, if you get around to it, I mean, maybe... Maybe at Christmas when the family's all in and everybody can get their cell phones out and capture video, then you can be baptized. Just, you know, whenever you can get around to it. But that neglects the clear teaching of Scripture. Baptism was the confession of faith. We must be baptized. It is not an option. And we should do so as quickly as possible when we realize our need for salvation and desire to give our life to Christ. That's why at Blue Valley... We will be resuming something that we stopped back in March of 2020 with a lot of other things during the pandemic. We will resume the opportunity for people to profess faith on Sunday morning and be baptized immediately as, as a means of reflecting what we see here in Scripture. If someone comes forward to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, at that moment, if they're able to do it, they will be walked back there and be baptized. And we've seen that happen a lot at Blue Valley Baptist Church. And that will happen from here on out eventually. <laughs> uh, because you see, I've been pastor here. I'm coming in on 15 years. And we've had um, about five Noahic floods uh, take place out of our baptistry. Um, in fact, a few weeks ago, we had a little bit of a leak, and that almost thwarted a baptistry. We got it fixed, and, uh, and then in preparation for today, where we were going to give people the opportunity to be baptized today, um, it sprung a massive leak. I mean, uh, people were on rowboats down in the, uh, in the Fellowship Hall, and that's the reason downstairs, if you've been there, you've got all of these blowers and all of that happening. It's 
20-year-old plumbing and it's finally reached its end. So that's all about to be fixed. But once that's fixed, on a Sunday morning, someone gives their life to Christ. Uh, we'll walk them back there and let them to profess that through baptism. Now, I said I'd do three things today. I said I'd show you what we believe to be the best understanding of baptism as seen as Scripture, and I hope I've done that. Second, I said I'd point you to a resource created by the elders that reflects far more eloquently what I've talked about here today. And here's how you can find that. If you go to our church website, you'll see the opportunity to click on About Us. If you click on About Us, you will see a pull-down that will say Elders. If you click on Elders, that'll take you to the landing page for the Elder page. On that page, on a desktop, it's going to be on your right. On your cell phone, it'll be towards the bottom. You'll see a link that says Elder Statements. If you click on that, you will see the Elder Statement of Baptism. I'd encourage you to print it out, do some study on your own. It reflects in more depth, again, what I've talked to about today. Here's the last thing, though, I said I'd do. I said I'd challenge you to think through your own understanding of baptism in light of what I've shared this morning. So let me close with some questions for you. Number one. Have you been baptized? Number two, did your baptism take place after you committed your life to follow Jesus? And then finally, was it by immersion? Now based on what I've tried to show you from Scripture this morning, if the answer to any of those questions was no, then it would mean that according to our teaching, that your baptism wasn't the best reflection of what Scripture shows it is. I want you to hear clearly what I am not saying. I am not saying that unless you were baptized this way, you're not saved, and everybody who's in heaven is going to have swimmers here. That's not what I'm saying, all right? I mean, some of the, the men I've respected most in ministry, friends, don't, don't have the same understanding of baptism that our church has, but we convictionally believe this is the best understanding of it. And so as you are a part on some level of this faith community, this is the standard that we are holding up to you. And we are simply saying that as we process scripture, if you have not been baptized by immersion under the authority of a local church after having made a commitment of your life to follow Jesus, then to be in the fullest compliance with what scripture says, you would need to be baptized. And so here's how the end of service is going to work here this morning. If you've never surrendered your life to follow Jesus, and you want to know how to do that, if you want to know what it means to come to a point where you're not trusting in your morality to save you or your religion to save you or your reputation to save you, but you've come to a point where you understand that the only way that I can possibly be right with God is through the, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. That's what you're willing to do this morning in making a, a full commitment and surrender of your life to Jesus as Savior. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to come down. We're going to have elders here. You can say to them, I need to give my life to Jesus Christ, and they will talk to you about what it means to surrender your life finally, fully, and completely to Jesus. And then we will schedule you for as soon as you're ready uh, and as soon as the baptistry is ready, an opportunity for you to be baptized. But it may be that you're going to process what we've learned this morning and you thought, you know, I've known Jesus for decades. 
for decades. I'm confident that heaven is my home because I've surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. But it's starting to weigh on you that, you know, I, I don't think that as, as it relates to Scripture, my baptism really looks like that. And, and I want to I demonstrate my commitment to Jesus through baptism as we've discussed it this morning. Again, our elders will be here at the front and we'll be more than happy to uh, talk with you about your story of following Jesus and then schedule you to be baptized as soon as possible. That's what we'll do as we finish today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer.